Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 11. This will be our uh, last sermon in Hebrews chapter 11, at least through the month of December. Uh, After today, we are going to take a brief pause and uh, focus on some various passages of Scripture uh, throughout our Bibles related to the history of Christmas. I'll speak more on that next Sunday, but... Let us go here to Hebrews chapter number 11, and we'll begin reading at verse 24. The Word of God says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming or considering the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to that reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Last week we were introduced to this section about Moses through the faith of his incredible parents, Amram and Jochebed. We saw that in verse 23 and how that all of Israel experienced through the leadership of Moses. It it all began with this obscure mom and dad who believed and trusted God in the midst of a culturally dark time. Now as we come to verse 24, we see Moses as an adult. In fact, it is estimated that There's about a 40-year time span between the activities of verse 23 and the activities of verse 24. Moses is an adult. And to me, the, 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 the overwhelming faith theme, and we've seen a faith theme in each of these characters that we've studied in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. But to me, here, the, the overwhelming faith theme of these particular verses regarding Moses is faith's choices, faith's choices, or the decisions of faith, the decisions of faith. That's what we're going to talk about together this morning, is our choices in life, the decisions that we have to make. You know, making decisions are part of our of our everyday life, virtually everything we do involves some type of decision. Now, some decisions are simple and easy, like what to wear. Uh, Some decisions nearly send our mind and soul and body into absolute anxiety, like what to wear, (laughs) Some decisions are easy, some are more difficult, 
But virtually everything we do in life involves some type of decision. And the truth is, you cannot run from decisions. Even choosing not to make a decision. Choosing not to make a decision is a choice itself. We've heard it stated over the last, I guess, 18 to 24 months now that decision fatigue has began to set in with a lot of people during this pandemic. We've had to make so many difficult decisions, just the simple choice of whether or not we want to get up and go out for a meal seems to be a cumbersome decision. Decision fatigue, I I found it very interesting at the beginning of the year as my counselor was talking with me about decision fatigue and my role as a pastor and the everyday leadership that is involved here in church ministry. He stated that decision fatigue is the state of mental overload that hinders any desire to work through the complications of a particular matter. In other words, decision fatigue is when we are just flat out worn out from making decisions. We've had to make so many complicated ones that we don't want to make any decisions anymore. And so regardless of where our mental state may be, maybe you're going through somewhat of a season of decision fatigue, the truth is we still cannot run from our decisions because choosing not to choose is a choice within itself. Here's the other thing about decisions. You can make a decision, any decision you want, But what you cannot do is choose the consequences of your choices. Every choice has a consequence, whether that be positive or negative. And some consequences of our choices are positive. Other consequences of our choices are negative. You can make your decision. You can make your choice. But you cannot choose the consequences of those choices. Decisions are a part of our everyday life. Now, what we see about Moses is that, yes, he was a man who lived by faith, but what is apparent here is that he was a man who made good decisions. Good decisions. And I think that's something that all of us would unanimously agree that we want to do, whether we do so or not. We want to make good decisions. But here's why Moses made good decisions. He made good decisions, good choices, because the deciding factor in his decisions was his faith in God. That's an important point about Moses and the content of our subject today. That the deciding factor in his decisions was his faith in God. So as he approached these things in the realm of his life, the choices that he had to make, the decisions he had to work through, it was his faith in God that determined the path that he would go. And so it ought to be for all of us who live by faith. We who live our lives by faith ought to look at all our choices, all of our decisions in light of our faith in 
God? Should I pursue this occupation? Well, what does my faith in God lead me to do? Should, should we sell the house? Should we relocate? Should, should we do this? Should, should we do that? The deciding factor ought to be what does our faith in God dictate for us? Remember, Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. These men and women are elevated because of their faith in God. And so it is with Moses. We see that his living by faith impacted the choices he made in life, his decisions. So let's examine our own decisions this morning in light of Moses' example. And look at the three major decisions that he made. Number one, we see here that by faith, he made a firm decision to identify with God and his people. By faith, he made a firm decision to identify with God and his people. And I would add here that he made this decision to identify with God and his people no matter what he lost in doing so. He made this decision no matter what he lost in doing so. Look at it there in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. As the prince of Egypt, Moses was the wealthiest, the most educated, the most cultured in that society. But at the age of 40, he had not forgotten what his parents instilled those early years of his life. And so here he comes face to face with a decision. A choice was in front of him. Does he go all out in the Egyptian way, in the way that he has been molded and prepared for? Or does he make the choice to join his own people, the children of Israel, whatever the cost? That's his decision. I can continue being the wealthiest, the educated, the, 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 the heir to the throne, or I can choose to be where I think God wants me to be, even though I lose everything in the process. What a decision. Now, I wrote down here in my notes what Moses decided. Look at it. What Moses decided. That is, he refused, verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Refused. It's firmness. It's absolutely in his mind, he, he, he refused to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that, that phrase, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it was, it was a title, a title of, of nobility and royalty. Here in America, we might would uh, identify the, the president's family as the, the first family, the first family. In, in, in the United Kingdom, you would call this person the Duke of York, all right? Uh, this is a title of nobility, of, of, of royalty, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And what Moses is refusing here is he is refusing the title that Egypt awarded him. Choosing rather to be known by his relationship with God more 
than what Egypt had to offer. Now, to Moses, that meant moving out of the palace of affluence and moving in with the people of affliction. He chose to identify with God and his people no matter what he lost in doing so. Choosing to move in with the children of Israel meant losing his title, losing his prestige, losing his power, losing his wealth. But he would rather, the Bible says, be identified by his relationship with God than to embrace everything that Egypt had to offer him. This is what Moses decided. And then I wrote down why Moses chose this. What he decided, why he chose this. Look at it again there in verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. The word esteeming, again, it it means he considered. He considered. What is it that he considered? Look at it carefully there. He considered the consequences of his decision. He, he weighed the outcomes and looked at the future implications of what this decision would bring. It's so simple, isn't it? To consider the consequences. To focus on the future when we're making our choices, when we have a decision in front of us. Yet, it's an often missed ingredient in our decision making. Some of us have some decisions in front of us this morning, and we've yet to really think about the consequences. We've yet to really consider the implications down the road, maybe five years from now, ten years from now. This is what he's doing when the Bible says he esteemed. He's, he's weighing the outcomes. He's, he's considering the consequences. What, what, what is better, to, to stay in Egypt and have all of this royalty in front of me? Or is the better outcome, the, the, the better consequence to, to move in with, with God's people and fulfill whatever God's plan is for my life, regardless of what it cost me? For Moses, to him, he considered it to be a sin for him to stay in Egypt's palace. That's what is meant when it says he would not enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. To him it was a sin to stay and enjoy all the pleasures and comforts and conveniences that Egypt gave him. And sometimes that's true in our lives. The the decision to stay put may not be a sin for someone else, but but it could be a a sin for for us. And so it is in Moses' dynamic here. He he looked at the consequences. He looked at maybe what God was put upon his life to do, and he understood if I stay here and I embrace everything that Egypt has to offer me, this this is a sin. It's a sin. He also understood that everything Egypt gave him, that which he considered sin for him to embrace, was was temporary. Did you notice what he said there? These are Passing pleasures. All sins, pleasures are temporary. As I heard one preacher say one time, sin is like eating Chinese food. 
No matter how much you eat, you always still feel hungry later. So it is with sin. Sin's pleasures are temporary. We may enjoy them in the moment for a for a season, but they eventually go away. This is this is the factor. This is what Moses is looking at. And he considered in his consequences godly affliction. Think about this. He considered suffering, affliction, hardship to be greater, more valuable than Egypt's comforts. He chose to be mistreated for his identity as a Hebrew than to embrace the temporary nature of sin. As verse 26 states, he chose Christ's riches over sin's pleasures and Egypt's comforts. That's why he chose it. But then I wrote down three, number three here, how Moses made this decision. Okay, what he decided, he refused to stay in Egypt. Why he chose this, because he saw suffering with God's people was more valuable than enjoying what Egypt had to offer. And how he made this decision, how did he come to this conclusion? Verse 26 says that he looked, look at the end of there, verse 26, he looked to the reward. He made this decision looking forward to the reward. Verse 27 says, he saw him who was invisible. In other words, he made this decision by looking to the eternal reward that is only found by faith in the invisible God. Remember Hebrews 11.1, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so once again, we see that Moses is looking ahead. He's looking to the eternal reward that is only found in the God who is invisible. And as a result, verse 27 says, he forsook Egypt. And he did so not fearing. He was not afraid of what would happen to him in doing so. What we have here is faith. And repentance over fear and pleasure. Faith and repentance, uh, seeing he who is invisible, forsaking Egypt, faith and repentance over fear and pleasure. Church family, it's important that we note that true faith shapes our identity. Consider what these verses are teaching us about decisions. Moses, by faith, made a firm decision to identify with God and his people regardless of what it cost him in doing so. True faith Living by genuine faith in Christ, it always shapes our identity. It leads us to repent of sins, passing pleasures, and embrace the greater riches of suffering 
with Christ, regardless of the treasures this world has to offer. Let's not look too far away from it because this is the same decision that all of us have to make. If, indeed, we desire to identify with God and His people. What is your identity this morning? What are you known for? Jesus said, if you want to identify with me, if you want to be known as having a relationship with me, Jesus said in Mark 8, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. Refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refuse Egypt's comforts. Refuse Egypt's pleasures. Refuse Egypt's future for your life. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. I'd rather suffer with the people of God. I'd rather experience affliction and hardship under the banner of God's chosen people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's what it means to take up the cross. It means I am willing to suffer whatever hardship may come my way for my identity, my identity in Christ. There is certainly an identity crisis in this world today. And God help us if sitting here this morning are people with an identity crisis themselves. It's a choice. It's a decision. And it needs to be a firm decision in your life. What do you want more? The comforts of this world? The pleasures of sin? Or would you rather suffer whatever you have to suffer in order to be identified with God and His people? You see, this affects all of us. You may not be the prince of anything. But you have some firm decisions to make about your identity with God and His people. Have you identified with Him in believer's baptism? I get it that you come. I get it that you're here. I get it that you're trying to figure this whole thing out. But when are you going to make a decision? When are you going to think about the consequences? When is being identified with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection going to be more important to you than what your family thinks? What your coworkers thinks? What your social media following believes? Have you identified publicly, unashamedly, in believer's baptism that I belong to Christ, that he is my Savior, that I accept him and him alone as my God, my Lord, my Savior? 
Have you identified with him in church membership? Well, this, this wasn't just something personal between Moses and God. No, his personal faith between Moses and God automatically involved him in communion with God's people. He didn't sit in the palace of Egypt thinking, you know what, I'm going to sit here on this throne and enjoy all my comforts and pleasures. I believe in God. He's my God, and I'm just going to, I'm going to trust the people to figure that out. No, his faith in God moved him to unite with the people of God, to suffer what they suffered, to experience what they experienced, to go through this journey of faith together. The decisions are not too far removed, church. Are we identifying with God? Are we willingly identifying with His people? Well, faith in God should determine that decision. And perhaps an unwillingness to identify with God and His people shows just how small your faith, even if it's even existing, may be. I'll leave that there for you to figure out. But being known for our relationship with God and His people is the greatest decision that we can make in life. It's a decision. Make the choice. Uh, See, number two here, that by faith, not only did he make a firm decision to identify with God and His people, but secondly, by faith, he made a firm decision to trust God's plan. He made a firm decision to trust God's plan. And again, I would add here that he made a decision to trust God's plan even if that plan didn't make sense. Even if that plan didn't make sense. Look at it in verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So now when we come to verse 28, we fast forward some time and we find Moses leading now the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. He's moved in with the people of God. He has answered the call from God to be their leader, to go, he and his brother Aaron, and lead the people out of Egypt. Verse 28 is a reference to the 10th and final plague that God had Moses pronounce upon Egypt as a means to secure their exodus. And you remember, there was the plague of lice, and the water turned to blood, and boils breaking over, locusts invading the... There was all these plagues, and now we come to the 10th plague. And the plague involved the death of every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and animal. Let me read it to you in Exodus chapter 11. God says in verse 6 that after this plague takes place, he says, There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. It would be the most tragic thing that the world had seen. The death of every firstborn. But... God, in the midst of that plague, provided a way of salvation for his people. A way for them not to have to experience the death angel passing through their quarters. Here's what God told Moses to do. We read it at the beginning of our worship service this morning. He said, I want you to go and kill a lamb. Every household, every family has to kill a lamb, but not just any lamb. It has to be a lamb without spot or blemish. 
It has to be a firstborn lamb, a male. It was to be killed in the evening hours, and when you kill it, not a bone in this lamb was to be broken. Then after you kill this lamb and begin to shed its blood, he said, take some hyssop. Dip it in the blood of that lamb and smear it on both the top and the sides of the doorways of every Hebrew home. And then go into your home and do not come out till morning. Every home where the blood of the required lamb had been applied to the doorway, the top and the bottom, it would be protected. And the death angel would then pass over that home. If the blood is not applied, the death angel would go in and the firstborn would die. But where the blood was applied, the death angel would pass over. This is why the festival was known as the Passover. The family would be saved by the blood of the Lamb And to be honest with you, this was an unprecedented and strange plan. But Moses made a firm decision, and he led the people to trust God and keep the Passover, even if it didn't make sense to them, even if they had never done anything like this before, even if then they had not made any connection to what we know now in Christ. They were to still Follow the instructions if their firstborn was to survive. And as we read in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 28, then the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did the children of Israel do. All of this was an act of faith. It was a decision to trust God's plan, more specifically, to trust God's plan of salvation. And we understand now through the New Testament what that all symbolized, that Jesus Christ is our Paschal Lamb. He is our Passover Lamb. He was a perfect Lamb without spot or blemish. In Him there was no sin. He was the firstborn, only begotten Son of God, who was crucified in the evening hours just outside of Jerusalem. And not one bone of his was broken in the process. His sacrifice was in our place. He became our substitute, and his shed blood is God's plan for the redemption of our souls. The spiritual application remains. Whoever among us by faith applies the shed blood of Jesus on the doorpost of our life will be saved from the wrath to come. And when judgment comes, if the blood has been applied to our heart's door, he will pass, as the song says, he will pass, he will pass over you. This Transaction is his righteousness for my unrighteousness. His life for mine. Have you by faith made a decision to trust God's plan, to trust the plan of salvation? This is Moses' salvation. This is, this is his redemption. This is what the children of Israel experienced. They may not have understood it all, 
But this was the plan. And they, by faith, obediently followed God's plan, even when it didn't make sense. I'm talking about our decisions this morning. And whether it be in the realm of your redemption or whatever it is God is doing in your life, when we make our decisions with our faith in God, the deciding factor, we can be firm in those choices, firm in those decisions, trusting the plan of God even if it doesn't make sense. Right now, number three, and this is the third thing we see. That by faith he made a firm decision to go forward in God's power. He made a firm decision to go forward in God's power. And once more I would add that he made this decision to go forward in God's power when the odds were stacked against him. When the odds were stacked against him. Look at verse 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land where the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So again, we fast forward in the timeline, not, not as much as we did between 23 and 24 and 27 and 28, but we do fast forward in verse 29, and we find that after the death angel passed through, Pharaoh finally, finally let the people go. God used Moses' leadership to deliver them. And off they went, free from Egypt's bondage. No longer a slave to Egypt's oppression. Perhaps they were singing that old hymn, Thank God I am free, free, free. They were, they were free. They were let go. It wasn't long, however, before Pharaoh and his army began chasing after them. You know why? Because Satan doesn't like to lose to God. When you give your life to Christ, when God frees you from sin's bondage, it's not a bed of roses from that day forward. Satan will pursue. He wants to chase after. It's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. You have an adversary, the devil. He's like a roaring lion every day, seeking, walking, trying to devour God's people. So Pharaoh and his army began chasing after them. And when you come to Exodus chapter 14, which we don't have time to do this morning, you find Israel between a rock and a hard place. They had left Egypt. They're following the cloud by day and the fire by night. God was leading them, and as he was leading them, guess where he led them? He led them to a body of water, the Red Sea. They walk right up to the shores of the Red Sea. No way to go around, and the problem only compounds when they turn behind them and off in the desert distance, they see the armies of Egypt coming fast. They're stuck. They're trapped. There's nowhere to go. The Red Sea is in front. The Egyptian armies who are coming to kill them are behind. Now I want you to think about this church family. Israel was in the very place that God often has to bring us to. The place where all we have is him. 
They're standing here, a sea in front of them, an enemy behind them. There's no ingenuity of their own, no time to build boats, no time to get a million people to the other side by walking around. No plans, no ideas. All they have is God. And how many times in my life and in your life, if you've been following God for any amount of time, where we start getting into those modes where we are self-dependent, self-sufficient. We don't, we, we don't study the Bibles like, like we once did. We don't, we don't pray like we, like we did when we were hurt and broken. Things are going well. We got this figured out. And so God says, I need to take your life on a detour. Because you haven't been trusting me like you're supposed to trust me. You haven't been as humble as you once were humble. You think you got this whole thing figured out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you to a rock and a hard place. I'm going to put you in a position where the sea is in front of you and the enemy is behind you. And there is nothing you can do about it. All you have is me. And that's exactly where Israel was. And in Exodus chapter 14, here's what Moses said to the people. God told him to say this. He looks at them and says, do not be afraid. Exodus 14, 13. Do not be afraid. Don't you love it when people start with that? Do not be afraid. I got the water in front of me. Half of us can't swim. The enemy's behind me. You telling me not to be afraid. And it's like when we try to console people. The only thing we can think of, everything's going to be okay. It's not what I need to hear right now. But Moses has a word from the Lord, and this is what God wanted the people to know. Do not be afraid. Stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. You will hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Not to retreat, not to lay down and die, but to go forward. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. Lift up that rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel will walk through on dry ground right in the middle of the sea. Can you imagine what the people thought when Moses told them to go forward? Moses is saying, go forward. The waters haven't parted yet. Go forward. I thought this guy was the most educated in Egypt. If we go forward, we're going to drown. I'm reminded in passages like this that God loves to part waters that we never thought were crossable. Are you between a rock and a hard place this morning? You feel the pressure coming from behind. You look in front of you. There seems to be no solution. Are you going to be bitter at God? Are you going to be frustrated at him? Or are you going to go forward? Because I'm telling you, the God that we serve loves to part waters we never thought were crossable. In an act of faith, Moses lifted that rod. He led the people to obey God by going forward in God's power. And as they took their steps of faith toward the Red Sea, and that's what it often has to take. God wants to see, are we willing to take that step of faith when the water has not yet been parted? 
As they took the steps of faith toward the Red Sea, God honored their faith and did a miracle. He parted the waters and they all, all of them, all one million of them, crossed over on dry ground. Oh yeah, what about the armies of Egypt who were fast approaching? Well, they too went forward. But here's the difference. They didn't go forward in faith. You may think you're pushing your life forward. We as a church will get ourselves in trouble if we go forward and we do not do it in faith. The Egyptian army, they went forward, but they didn't go in faith. And they didn't go in God's power. So after the children of Israel made their way over, God commanded the parted waters to collapse. And all the Egyptian army crushed in the middle by the waves and the turbulent sea, drowned that day. God honored Moses' faith. God honored his leadership. And the children of Israel were protected from the enemy. Now listen, church, I'm sure it was an unsettling experience to walk between those parted walls of water. I get a little bit nervous about things myself. And if I put myself in those shoes, what would my reaction be? Now, again, we look back on it. We know that at the end of the story, they all made it safely. We know that. But can you imagine a little bit of the anxiety that was going on as they began to walk? And literally, there is a wall of water. They're, they're feeling a little bit of the, the sprinkles of the water from the wind blowing up against the walls. At any moment... At any moment, it's possible that that could collapse on their families, on their lives. You ever get anxious about things like that? You have that window seat next to the engine on the airplane, and you just find yourself dazing out the window, and you're thinking to yourself, at any moment, at any moment, some unlucky bird could bring an end to my life. I'm sure it was a little unsettling, but they went forward nonetheless. They trusted God's word because God's word was all they had. And that's what God honors, firm decisions of faith that go forward in God's power, especially when the odds are stacked against us. Can I ask you a question this morning as we bring this to a close? What is God wanting to do in your life that is never going to happen unless you choose to go forward in faith? What is God wanting to do in your life that is never going to happen until you choose to go forward in faith? My friend, follow him. Trust him, watch him, go forward and see the salvation of the Lord. Decisions, decisions. Now what does all of this mean to us? In a sense, our life is the sum total of our decisions. Okay? Our life is the sum total of our decisions. Moses shows us. That for the believer, the deciding factor in all our decisions is our faith in God. Moses 
trusted God. And that faith not only shaped his identity, but it shaped his decisions. If there's never really any risk involved, is it really a faith? To to the world, Moses risked everything for nothing. But to we who know God, we understand that Moses risked nothing for everything. (laughs) He trusted God. And it shaped everything about his life, his identity, his decisions. And I just want to say to us this morning, whatever the cost, whatever the cost, even when it doesn't make sense, however strong the odds are against you, by faith, trust God. He has your best interest and his highest glory at heart. Listen carefully. He has your best interest and his highest glory at heart. And in the realm of his perfect will, both of those things are absolutely compatible. I think sometimes we sell it short that God's highest glory means that my best interest is left to the side. No, no, listen to me. In God's perfect will, your best interest and God's highest glories are perfectly compatible. We just have to have the faith to believe it. To walk toward that water. To refuse that title. And to trust that plan. Even when it really doesn't make sense. Choices. Right now you're making choices whether or not to sleep or to stay awake. You're making decisions of where you'll go to eat. But greater than these things, there are the implications of our everyday choices in those matters related to our faith in God. Moses sets that example. May we follow it. And it is my prayer this morning that if any one of us here have yet to by faith identify with God and his people, that that decision will be affirmed today. And my relationship with God is more important than anything else in this life. If you'll start there, I'm not saying everything's going to be easy, but it does get easier if you'll start by choosing God and his people. Let's stand together for prayer.